Well, good morning, everyone. The focus this morning is how we can grow a sustainable ministry. And we believe that any kind of a business can be a ministry. And our particular ministry is a nonprofit corporation, but the principles that we're going to be sharing, we believe, can be incorporated in a nonprofit or for-profit corporation. So first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we do at our ministry, and then Mark will delve more into the principles. So we want to welcome you to Oak Haven. That's our ministry. And when you would come in, this is the sign you would see. We're a ministry that is the home of Emmanuel Inst Oh, there's nothing on the screen. Okay. Okay, there we go. This is the sign that you're going to see when you come in. And we're the home of Country Life Natural Foods. And we also have Emmanuel Institute there, which is the evangelism school that's operated by the Michigan Conference. Uh, we like to... Um, begin each day with prayer and this is what you're going to see as you come in lots of trees the ministry was actually purchased around 1960 1200 acres and most of that property is wooded when God provided this property the lumber on the property was actually worth more than what was actually paid for Okay, so we begin each day with prayer. You can see some of the young people here. Uh, Country Life is a big focus of our ministry because it's the business that funds the ministry, and in itself, it is a ministry. We believe that every employee, to some degree, is a missionary, and every department is an outreach, and this is the vision that we try to impart to the workers. If you would come to the store, this, this would be your entrance. Uh, when you come into the store, you can order any one of our 1,500 products from the warehouse, and there's actually even more products than that on the shelves in the store. Uh, these are just a, a couple of pictures because we don't have time to go into a lot of that, but you will be greeted by our friendly store staff. And what's beautiful about the store is it, it's, it's on the front lines of ministry, and our store staff know that it's okay to take time to pray with the people that come, that come in. Uh, a lot of them come for counsel, for someone to pray with them. And they're asking for help and advice. Of course, they give out lots of tracts, literature. There's, there's a uh, literature rack right in the foyer as they come in. And this is Sherry back in our packaging room. Sherry's a real blessing in a lot of ways. She's also my neighbor. And you can see her bagging up some of our bulk products into smaller sizes. So you can get large sizes or small sizes of the many natural foods that we carry. And this is our store staff. Uh, you can see here, this is where we're making granola. Even though we do repackage and distribute a number of items, we also manufacture a number of products as well. Granolas, trail mixes, burger mix, cookie mix, uh, there's one more mix, burger, cookie, waffle mix. And this is some of the equipment, just a couple of pictures that you can see of our factory. And of course, most of you are familiar with the little sample packets that you get at ASI, and these go to a lot of events. People actually order them for their own events. And this is our factory staff, Doug, the second to the left, is our factory manager, and he's awesome. He's doing a great job. And 
our factory staff, they're very mission-minded. The other day I was in there and I said, hey, are you guys still putting those tracks in the five-pound boxes? And they said, well, we would if we had more. So I went over to Faith Hall, brought a whole case down there, and they're ready to put them in the packages. So we're getting the word out in every way, shape, and form, even in the factory. Of course, the guys in the warehouse don't have as much opportunity, but if it weren't for them, we wouldn't have any products to offer to the community. We have 25,000 feet, square feet of warehouse space, and you can see um, one of the guys who is now in the seminary to be a pastor. A lot of the workers go on to do all kinds of ministries after they have spent time at Oak Haven, and these are the guys that work back in the warehouse. Uh, one, once in a while, we get a visit from the FDA inspectors, the men in the white suits on the left. We never know when they're coming. Uh, they show up unannounced, but the certified organic inspectors, they do give us advance notice. We have a fleet of seven trucks plus three more of our distributors that deliver in about 15 states. Our drivers are also mission-minded. They take tracks and magazines by the caseful sometimes. So between the store, the drivers, our outreach programs, we're getting a lot of material out into people's hands. We recently ordered 5,000 copies of the Vibrant Life Forks Over Knives issue, and those got out in a relatively short time. Here's our office staff minus our son John, who's our webmaster. Uh, he keeps the website up and running. If you call in an order, these are the folks that take your call. There's a lot of snow for our maintenance guys to plow in the winter, but that's not all they do. Uh, they keep the grounds looking good. Uh, we have a, a two-acre community garden plot that's fenced in with deer fencing so that our staff can have a garden if they don't have a way to do that at home. And this picture reminds me that a lot of our staff, not only are they mission-minded in the workplace, but they're also mission-minded outside of the workplace. All three of these guys have a ministry off the clock, so to speak. And we really appreciate the, just the evangelistic spirit of a lot of our workers. Country Life is a name that is used around the world. This picture is one of the Country Life Ministries in Prague. A lot of people don't know that the name Country Life actually originated at Oak Haven. Um, and in the 1980s, OCI was given permission for the name to be used worldwide. So that's why you'll see a lot of ministries using the name Country Life, but we're not financially connected to them. Hopefully, philosophically, we are connected to what they are doing around the world. And this is a beautiful restaurant there in Prague. Uh, this is the Outpost Center, a beautiful, beautiful facility. This was one of the events over there and so much good food. When I think about country life, I think about good, wholesome food. And this was some of the uh, vegetarian meats. These are some of the uh, garden produce that they have there. And how about that for a carrot? Isn't that amazing? And now this is Country Life down in Dominican. We just wanted to show you a couple of uh, projects around the world. Uh, we donate to smaller ministries because the Lord has given us counsel that the stronger institutions should help the weaker institutions. So we set aside so much money each month that we can donate to other ministries. Uh, this one in Dominican Republic, uh, they're really trying to do a good job down there. They're making and pack packaging their own granola. This is their little warehouse. 
And this is the church that was built in 2004, I believe. Uh, ten of our staff went down with the Lake Union ASI, and they built this beautiful church. I love the way they artistically made it beautiful with paint because they didn't have much to work with. Isn't that awesome? Okay, we, we like to focus on evangelism training as well as outreach. Uh, some of you know that Oak Haven is the home of Emanuel Institute, which the Michigan Conference started there in 2010. This is Pastor Howard and Pastor Emanuel Roth as they're unloading the truck. Faith Hall is one of our main buildings, and during the evangelism school, this is used as one of the dormitories. Martin Hall uh, is used as a classroom, and there's also more dorm rooms, kind of in a U-shape there. And this this church was actually a church plant that was started as a result of the first uh, Emanuel Institute training program down in Kalamazoo. And it was a beautiful facility. Uh, I primarily work with health evangelism, and these are the students. We, we do classroom training, and then we go out into the field, and we do practical training as well. So these are the students that are learning how to do health evangelism, most of them for the first time. And so here they are getting ready for their presentations. Uh, here they are. Uh, one of the guys on the right is practicing, and, and I was critiquing there with the rest of the students that weren't working in the kitchen there. But it's so fun to see the students get excited about what they're learning and what they're doing, just beaming and, and saying, wow, I never believed I could do this before. And that's one of my greatest joys, just seeing the young people trained to do evangelism. That is like over the top for me. This was the first graduating class. It was in 2010. Well, as in a lot of our businesses and ministries, a lot of what we do is really about sowing seeds sowing seeds, planting seeds, and you don't always see the fruit. But I believe with all my heart that we're going to see a tremendous harvest uh, someday in the kingdom. We're going to be amazed at how many seeds were planted, and, and it just kept going and going, unknown to us, until we're in the kingdom with Jesus. I really believe that. Well, this is a picture of the postcards that we send out. We have a database, and everybody that comes to a health program, they're put into the database. So whenever we have a new schedule, uh, they'll either receive a postcard or an email. Of course, the postcards are going out with our drivers on the trucks. They're going out in the store. So the word is getting out, and a lot of our health programs that we do on site are held in Faith Hall, which is the main building. Uh, we try to schedule monthly cooking classes between September and May, and it draws a lot of people. Even though we're in a very rural setting, very rural, uh, we can get 80 to 100 people, sometimes up to 120 with a waiting list for, for these programs. They really come out. And you can just see everybody packed in there. Our dream, our goal is to someday maybe have a bigger facility where people don't have to be as squished, where they're a little more comfortable, where it's easier to see in here. That's, that's my dream. So you can just see down there what it looks like when a program's going on. We try to get literature out into people's hands. Lots of literature will be on display as people come to the programs and you can see them picking it up, and they always get a huge plate of samples. One of our favorite classes is the bread class, and uh, just like the bread of life we receive from Jesus, 
uh, we are told, freely ye have received, freely give. And this is one of, one of our guiding stars. Uh, we try to be very, very generous with our employees, with the people in the community, because if we're stingy and tight-fisted, we believe that God can't bless. But when we open up our hands and we freely give of the blessings that God has given to us, we believe he gives, he gives more. And this is what we find. We don't charge for any of our outreach programs unless there's material like for diabetes or uh, depression recovery. Some of those programs we do charge, but most of the time there is absolutely no charge. Uh, these are just some of the whole grain breads that they are taught how to make during the whole grain bread baking class. We try to do that about once a year. It seems to be people's favorite classes. This was one of the... <laughs> probably can't hear it. She had just been to a bread class and she was being interviewed at the store and she really enjoyed it. This is a picture of Chris Holland. Uh, a lot of people find out about our programs and help advertise for us. And Chris Holland was at the seminary down at Andrews. He found out about the programs. He started coming up. He started bringing people up by the carload and he got so enthusiastic about what we were doing that I, I believe he kind of took that vision with him. He went on to Chicago uh, in 2010, Mark Finley had a 30-year anniversary of the Soul Winning Institute, which started back in 1980, and I was one of the students in those early programs. And so at the 30-year anniversary, Chris Holland ended up being the director or the coordinator for the outreach, and so he invited us to come down, do a training there in Hinsdale, do some programs down there. So God has opened up many, many doors. I can't even begin to share with you just in the few moments that I have today all the doors that God has continued to open up. One of the programs we've done that's been a real blessing is depression recovery. We had 10 of our staff trained as facilitators. These are the different groups. Ken and Marlene on the left, Ken's our warehouse manager. And then here on the right, you see Doug and Sherry. Doug, as I said earlier, is our factory manager. And on the right, behind the lady in the pink and white sweater, is our maintenance supervisor and our store manager. So all these people were able to be trained and help with the depression recovery program, and it was a huge success. We hope to do that again this fall. And another thing that we've done several sessions now is the diabetes reversal programs with um, the material that Dr. Guthrie has put together. This has also been a huge blessing. And just a quick story, Pastor Meister of the United Methodist Church down the road, he had come to one of our diabetes reversal programs. And he was so excited about what he was learning. He was almost literally jumping up and down. And he wanted us to come and do the next program at his church, which we did. And that, of course, every door that God opens up just opens up so many more doors and it just keeps going. Here's another um, our picture of the depression or diabetes program going on there in Martin Hall. Uh, some of these people in this picture have already been baptized. So we're seeing fruit from the health outreach. But as I said earlier, most of it you don't see. Most of it is sowing seeds. And another thing that we did this last year was wilderness survival classes. Jay Peterson, one of our drivers, He's, he works with Pathfinders, he's very knowledgeable, and he did a series of five of these classes, and it was a real, real hit with the community. It draw, drew more people out. 
And not only do we plan a lot of programs on site, but we also go out into the highways and byways as God opens up the doors. Many, many doors have opened up. As I said, I can't even begin to really go into all the places where God has opened up doors, but some of them have been very exciting. The Amish homes and stores, that's been really, really exciting. Uh, schools and colleges, health and wellness fairs. I just have a couple of pictures here. This is the county fair in Allegan where we have a booth each year and we get a lot of interest from the county fair. Uh, we were invited to do a series of classes for the adult education program, uh, a whole semester's worth actually at Lake Michigan College and some of the staff were there in the class and they were so excited about the program that they invited us to come back and do some in-service programs for their staff. Um, in South Haven, the North Shore Elementary School invited us to come and participate in their wellness program for the students there. Public libraries. Uh, this was a place in Kalamazoo, a health fair, that we were invited to. It was just such a beautiful outdoor setting. Just so many doors. And here's the ladies in the red hats that were uh, saying goodbye to us there. It was fun. This is a harvest fest that was south of Battle Creek. And many of the people there actually remembered the restaurant that used to be operated by Country Life in Kalamazoo. Up in Grand Rapids, we were invited to participate in a wellness fair at the National Headquarters for Heritage Academy. They have about 300 staff there. So just to give you a little glimpse, uh, we also do training. This is the Umatilla Seventh-day Adventist Church down in Florida where we were invited to come down and we did a training for four churches, a health evangelism training. And then after the training, we did an actual outreach event and all those church members came and participated, and it was really a blessing. This is the uh, Bible worker, Donna McDonald, who was working with Youth for Jesus, who invited us down. And actually, the whole event was all part of the Youth for Jesus project. You can see some of the people there at that event. And this is the Zion Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, we went down there as well and did a training and a program there for the church members, and it was just so fun. Uh, this is a picture of just some of the young people back in the kitchen doing this for the first time, and they were just so, so excited to see that, hey, I can do this. Some of the food there. Uh, many of you know Barbara Taylor. She invited us to come out and do a supper club uh, in Copper Mountain, and that was in February. It was a very snowy weekend and Barbara was really discouraged. She thought not too many people were going to come but they came out and we did a bread class for them there and they were so excited. They wanted to take this bread dough just they wanted to take it out of the pans and take it home because they knew I needed to take my pans with them. <laughs> but it was a real blessing. And at one of the recent programs over in Michigan uh, we met this lady and she has been working with the Country Life co-ops for 30 years not just herself, but also her mother before that, and she's actually a Methodist, and she's putting two of her children through the Adventist schools. So we just never know what our influence in people's lives is actually doing. So we were happy, just very happy to meet her. And from time to time, we can see some of the reaping that God is doing in people's uh, lives. This is our pastor. It's really cool, I have to share this. Our pastor, told us that when he came to our district that we were an answer to his prayers because his dream and prayer for years was, God, please let me have the opportunity 
to work with a supporting ministry that works closely with the conference. And so we're so blessed to have him. These are just some of the people that have been baptized. We had an evangelistic series last spring, and uh, several of the people in this picture have been baptized as a result of the health outreach, working hand-in-hand with the gospel ministry. And Robert, the guy in the blue and white shirt, if anybody would give you a hard time at a program, it was Robert. Robert continued to come to the programs. He lost 50 pounds. He was on a waiting list for a heart transplant. And, of course, after so many months, he didn't need the heart transplant anymore. And his doctor said, just keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, This is a guy, one of our staff uh, works with prison ministry, and he met this man, John, in, in prison down in Benton Harbor. He moved down to Mobile, Alabama, just in time to attend Mark Finley's evangelistic series where our daughter Rebecca and her new husband Henry were working, and he was baptized. So it it is exciting when you do see some fruit. Uh, This is the pastor of the Pullman Bible Church with his wife, and years ago they were so prejudiced against Seventh-day Adventists. And here you see them very happy to be at one of our events. It was a wellness fair at the United Methodist Church, and there they are with their haystacks. So... It's just so beautiful to see God changing hearts. And Mark likes this picture because this field was, was in mud. We actually had flooding, which was extremely unusual for us. And sometimes we do find ourselves knee-deep in problems. Some of you probably feel that way as well. But we believe, we continue to believe the promise that all these things are for our character development. And the very things that seem trying and difficult are getting us ready to go home with Jesus. So God bless each one of you. Uh, we just are so thankful for ASI, for the blessing ASI has been to us, and we pray that we can continue to be a blessing, not only to National ASI, but to the Lake Union ASI as well. So if we can be of any help to you, come by our booth. If you want to know how you can start a co-op or any other way that you can use the health food products as an outreach to reach your community, please let us know. And we're going to turn the time over to Mark. I appreciate that, Patty. Uh, And a lot of that uh, concept of being involved in ministry is really what will make your ministry a sustainable one. And so just looking at uh, what we have in store for us, I want to start with the platform of knowing that individually, and you may have seen some of these statements, that God has given us our work. Uh, The book of Mark says it. Christ's object lesson expands on it. To his servants, Christ commits his goods, something to be put to use for him. He gives to every man his work. Each has his place in the eternal plan of heaven. And I'd like to expand that from the individual to the corporate. Each organization has their place in God's plan. And it says that not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions than is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. And this continues with the idea that we work for which our capabilities are are adapted. The work which will result in the greatest good to himself and his fellow men and in greatest honor to God. A little bit later I'm going to talk about win, win, win situations where 
everyone through the continuum of God's plan is blessed. And along the same theme that our business, thus our business or calling is part of God's great plan. And so long as it's conducted in accordance with his will, he himself is responsible for the results. We are laborers together with God. Our part is faithful compliance with his direction. Diligence, fidelity, caretaking, thrift, and discretion are called for. Every faculty is to be exercised to its highest capacity. And so when we do this, we have to remember then that the de our dependence will be not on the successful outcome of our, our efforts, but on the promise of God. The word that fed Israel in the desert and sustained Elijah through the time of famine has the same power today. It says it in Matthew, and we're all familiar with these, this verse. Be not anxious, therefore, for tomorrow, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so with that as a foundation that we are individually called by God in our work, whether we're working with a couple different people or in a larger organization or the organization itself, God in his providence has put us where we are. And when we recognize that God is the owner of everything that we do and we are his stewards, I'll read this from Education, page 137. That which lies at the foundation of business integrity and of true success is the recognition of God's ownership. The creator of all things, he is the original proprietor. So in our businesses, in our ministries, uh, God is working with us. We are working with him. We are his stewards. All that we have is a trust from him to be used according to his direction. And so in, uh, in this, with this platform understood, just like to talk a little bit about what was the, the business wisdom of the 90s. It's not too long ago, but if you remember that every small and big and medium-sized company was running around acquiring uh, other companies and building this big conglomerate network of things that were sometimes unrelated to their core businesses. And so the wisdom there was diversify, you know, spread out your risk. And, and it was, it, the, you know, the 90s had quite a boom in economy. But what happened? Many companies failed. They had to divest of what they had purchased, sometimes realizing that, wow, we didn't know anything about that business. And they were just buying it as a speculation. Well, I believe that God, and in his wisdom, has brought us around to the current wisdom is focus and excelling with excellence in a focused business. GE does that. They, they were one of the ones that went crazy with buying up companies, and they were able to, you know, huge capital uh, available. But they came down to five core businesses, and they excel in those, and they want to be world leaders in those. HP is another one, Apple computer. You don't see Apple getting into a lot of different things that, that are unrelated to their core uh, vision. Well, remember that our business is service for God. Remember, we're in the place where God wants us to be. He's given us our work. 
He owns it. We are his stewards. And this uh, is from the Atlantic Union uh, record from 1903. A Christian is one whose heart is controlled by the Holy Spirit. The love of God pervades his soul. He desires to live, not to get glory for himself, not to serve himself, but to serve and glorify the one who gave his life for him. He may have business to attend to, but it is not unlawful business, and his business life is not separate from his religious life. This is one of the principles that will make our ministries and our businesses sustainable. Because if, we, if we're going out on a sidetrack without God, we're going to find ourselves stumbling and getting weaker and finding that our religious life suffers. And, and when that happens, our life is not sustainable. And the life of our workers, our staff, and the people we uh, influence is not sustainable. And so, continuing with the same quote, his business is a part of his service to God. He worships God as verily when attending to this business as when offering prayer. Daniel and his fellows had important duties to perform in connection with the government of Babylon, but they were nonetheless in the service of God. And, you know, you think back of the huge kingdom of Babylon and, and Daniel and his associates there and their involvement in upper levels of the administration there. They were in the service of God doing that. Well, with that as the foundation, I want to use this next uh, portion as a little framework to, uh, it's taught me a lot of lessons as I've read this diary entry from Ellen White in some travels where she had some decisions to make in what to do, where to go to her next speaking appointment. You see there, it says 1889 camp meeting sermons. She was invited to two different camp meetings of that summer of 1889. And going back to the principle that to each man is given his work, she had to determine what would be God's will and where to go. She couldn't go to both places at once. It's not like she could fly to one and you know, fly to the other. It was a huge uh, commitment to travel to one place or the other. So she says, I was perplexed as to my duty and prayed that the Lord would direct me. So that's the first step. If we were even beginning a ministry or we're, we're coming into a ministry that's already been in operation, we should continually be praying that God would direct us in our steps and that we would know our duty. That is part of our calling. When God gives us something, then it's a duty for us to do. So she, uh, she realized after this prayer, after seeking the Lord, that her duty seemed clear. And this is one of the most awesome stories that if I would write this down, Review and Herald, July 30th, 1889. Read that whole, the whole account. You will be amazed. And I'll, I'll point out some of the points that were most interesting to me. Well, the travel, she was in Battle Creek, Michigan at the time. Her decision was to go to Iowa or Pennsylvania. Well, Pennsylvania is where the Lord directed. That's where her duty seemed clear. So she went from Battle Creek to Buffalo, New York by train, and then down to Elmira, New York by train. And then and Elmira, New York is just north of where I went to college at Mansfield State in Pennsylvania. And so some of these towns in this river valley that, that comes down there, I was well familiar with in, in exploring the outdoors when I was in school. So during her travels, at what, what often happens in our journey of life, we come into difficulties. 
And so there was storms, there was rain, there was flooding, there were problems on the, on the road and the train uh, the rails. They were encouraging her at Buffalo or Elmira that, you know, you really can't go any farther. It's really bad up ahead. You ought to just stay where you are. Well, I put in here that this was what she wrote. Upon a few moments' consideration, we again boarded the train. I just want to pause there because when we know our duty very clearly and we know that it's from God, then it doesn't take long for, for God to confirm that with us and say, yes, this is what I told you, go forward. So they boarded the train and they were determined to go as far as possible, determined to take no backward steps until they felt assured that it was all we could do. Well, after difficulties came danger. 16 miles from Canton, 10 lives were lost, and between Canton and Williamsport, 18 bridges had been carried away, 1889. Okay, from danger came more difficulties. The road was in a bad condition, but not impassable. We decided to go as far as possible when we, when we should come to an insurmountable obstacle, we would return to Roaring Branch, but not before. Okay? The road doesn't look too bad. Some of us would venture going through there, but, uh, and they certainly did. Well, just to put it in perspective, looking around the room, some of us are near the 60-year age bracket, and Ellen White at that time was about 61, 62 years old. And she writes this, we were obliged to walk miles on this journey. And it seemed marvelous that I could endure the travel as I did. Both of my ankles were broken years ago and ever since they had been weak. Before leaving Battle Creek for Kansas, I sprained one of my ankles and was confined to crutches for some time. But in this emergency, I felt no weakness or inconvenience and traveled safely over the rough sliding rocks. And I didn't include all the different commentary in there, how the, the, the step by step there was problems. And so they had, they, anyway, there's another place they came to on the, on the trip where they, it says this, at one place in the road, our passage was barred by a large fallen tree. In an attempt to drive over it, we broke the double tree of our carriage. And, and I, I'm not familiar with that, but it seems like a main part of the, of the carriage, the axle, we might say. But as we had brought tools and straps for such emergencies, we supplied its place with a limb of a tree and drove on. Okay, so they, they knew that they might anticipate, I mean, or they anticipated obstacles. They knew that they would come into difficulties and they were prepared. And when we're in our ministries and in our businesses, uh, we can anticipate that trouble will come and we can make alternative plans or contingency things of what we will do when certain things happen, you know, whether it's a cash flow crunch or whether it's a personnel crisis. And those kinds of things always happen and we should anticipate those and be prepared to face them. So anyway, I'm going to leave this, this story in this framework and come back to it a little bit later. But you get the idea that God will give us our work. We can confirm that it's our duty with him in prayer. And then we go forward and, and we're prepared to go through the different difficulties that come up. 
Uh, jumping back a little bit, probably 1987, I came across this book, Growing a Business. Paul Hawken was uh, on the East Coast near the Boston area. He started what was one of the early natural foods companies called Erwan. And uh, kind of back in that day, it was the hippies and the New Age people that were starting the health food ministries. Uh, to them, they, it was. They wanted to jumping down, enrich the lives of all who are touched by their business. So the, the context of this book was a bit, go, when you're going into a business, or we can say a ministry, do something that lies close to your heart, something where you actually believe in your product, where you personally have experienced the benefits. And, and he had mentioned that, that he had changed his diet. He had changed his lifestyle. He started to feel better himself, and he thought, well, what a better business to get into than something that I can help people experience what I've personally experienced. And so then it goes into what I mentioned before. It's a win-win situation, enhancing the lives of those who work within it. So in our businesses, in our ministries, and as Patty was sharing with a lot of our outreach, we, uh, we find that our own staff is really blessed and, and their lives are enhanced. And then the... Uh, service to others, giving something that's of value that will enrich their lives and help them in, uh, in the next step of their journey. Well, these two pictures you probably recognize, a young Steve Jobs and an older Steve Jobs. Well, he had a similar idea, a vision, a purpose to enrich lives. The uh, His idea of giving people something that will benefit and enrich their lives, do it well, and the profits will come. I mean, there's huge biographies, and everywhere, several months ago when he passed away, everything was all over the Internet about Steve Jobs. And I don't endorse all of his business practices, but this one here, I believe, is something that we can take home with us. Give the people something that will enrich their lives, do it well, and the profits will come. We don't have to be seeking business opportunities and ventures just for the profit motive. And as a, as a 501c3 at Oak Haven, we're not there for profit motive. We're there for service and for ministry. One thing I didn't include here, which is a contrast to Steve Jobs, is his uh, colleague at one time, uh, probably even would have been now still Bill Gates. If you look at Bill Gates' life, he lived a life of unselfish sacrifice, giving millions and billions to uh, schools and libraries and, set and foundations and everything. And so uh, that is another principle of uh, really what education, the book Education says, Secrets of True Success. And there's a whole chapter, Business Principles, in the book Education. I'd encourage you to digest that and read it over and over again. But in there, there are some principles that maybe, maybe they can go without saying. But in reviewing them and committing to them every day and asking God to help us to be diligent in our businesses, in our ministries, to be honest, to work and live and serve with integrity and fidelity, and purity, thrift. There's a story later on, I'll show you a slide or two of uh, 
of a company that didn't just go out and get the flashiest, uh, most uh, unnecessary equipment or buildings, but we should be careful in our ministries. Cash does not come easy, and we should be aware of how that flows and use what we need to uh, to further the work, but uh, not to be frivolous in using it. But temperance, that's, a, that's another thing. When we talk about sustainable ministries, I don't know if, if all of you maybe have experienced it to a point at times where you have felt on the edge of being burned out or you've been in working with a, a team of people where we're, you're just getting tired and it's not, you can't go on at the same pace and this brother is nodding his head. And so, you know, temperance is something that we cannot gloss over as the, the one, you know, okay Adventist sin that, you know, we, uh, we can just be intemperate. We have to be temperate. Uh, discretion in doing things and, and studying the wisdom of Proverbs. These are all pointed out in the chapter uh, in the book Education. Well, Proverbs is, is rich and Psalms is rich and the whole Bible teaches principles of how we can uh, really honor the Lord. There's in Psalm 15:4. there's a verse that says, he honoreth them that fear the Lord. So again, we submit to God and that even the rest of the verse says, he that swears to his own hurt and changes not. So if we commit to something, if we promise something in our ministry, in our business, we must carry out with it, even if it's to our own hurt. Well, another uh, business book of the last decade was one by Jim Collins. He, he wrote two. Good to Great is one. Actually, when he wrote this, it was a sequel to the, the first one that he wrote was called Built to Last. But in his commentary, he says that he, good to great should have come before Built to Last. And both of these are concepts that I really believe are strongly integrated with our church history. We have a Seventh-day Adventist church that has gone through decades of change of leadership and, and evolving toward a, a changing world and meeting the needs of, of billions of people around the world. And, and our, our church has sustained its focus and sustained its strength and going from what we thought, wow, that was really, uh, I was thinking of uh, when I first became a Seventh-day Adventist in the 80s, Oh, it was something like a thousand day, thousand, thousand days of reaping. Yeah, thousand days of reaping. Okay. Well, now we're on to, you know, sow a billion, you know, and, and we're baptizing 3,000 a day worldwide. And it's just, we're going from good to great because we're not being complacent of where we are. And let, let me just read this from Review and Herald 1902. A realization of the greatest greatness of the work in which we have the privilege of taking part ennobles and sanctifies the true worker. Nothing is drudgery to the one who submits to the will of God. Doing it unto the Lord is the thought that throws a charm over the work that God gives him to do. And so there's a lot of simple things that we do in our ministry. And when we do it unto the Lord, it, it does 
lighten that load and that burden of carrying it out. The Lord's servants are to be not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Listlessness and inefficiency are not piety. When we realize that we are working for God, we shall have a higher sense of the sacredness of spiritual service than we have ever had. This realization will put persevering energy into the discharge of every duty. True religion is intensely practical. We are to make our everyday duties acts of devotion, constantly increasing in usefulness because we look at our work in the light of eternity. And if anything is sustainable, eternity is sustainable. And so we, we're going to continue through the ages to come in being useful, being hardworking, being practical, having everyday duties. All of these things are, are things that we will continue to do throughout eternity. But I mentioned the complacency that we have to guard against is, is mentioned here that good is the enemy of great. If we rest in what, if we're doing something well, we can get complacent. Uh, this next is a quote from, I guess, Review and Herald 1907, but strive continually to improve. Let your life fulfill the words, thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. And, and our enemies are growing in wisdom as well. And they are sometimes, you know, if we're going on the same path as them, if we get complacent, then we're going to be like sitting in the dust. And unfortunately, we're involved. I mean, fortunately, we are involved in health ministry. Unfortunately, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is not the leading uh, component in health ministry around the world. I mean, I, it is one of the, but it could be a lot more. And I, we should not rest as it says here, we should not be content to remain upon the lowlands, but we should be ever climbing heavenward. With the word of God in their hands and the love of souls pointing them to diligence, they should advance step by step in efficiency. You know, there's, uh, there's something that we have to have as well as a foundational part of our ministries, and that is unselfish service. I'm going to give this uh, example here of the angels. When you think about it, angels are, if we need an angel, we'll get an angel. God is there watching all over the earth, and he will send an angel to our need when we need it. And it says here, the angels of glory find their joy in giving, giving love and tireless watch care to souls that are fallen and unholy. Heavenly beings woo the hearts of men, they bring to this dark world light from the courts above. By gentle and patient ministry, they move upon the human spirit to bring the lost into fellowship with Christ, a fellowship with Christ which is even closer than they themselves can know. And so you see at the bottom, no politics, no climbing the ladder, no working your way up. Unselfish service is where we need to be and what we need to uh, model and what we need to teach and what we need to just help all of us to work together. If I can help you to be better in your ministry, that's great. I don't need to go up any higher in my ministry to help you. And we can, and that inner working can happen inside of a ministry and it can, help in, it can happen in society at large. Harry Truman said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. Well, I'll, I'll continue here with Ministry of Healing 
I didn't give the page, but it's in the chapter, Help in Daily Living. If any are qualified for a higher position, the Lord will lay the burden not alone on them, but on those who have tested them, who know their worth, who can understandingly urge them forward. It is those who perform faithfully their appointed work day by day, who in God's own time will hear his call come up higher. And I don't know if you've ever been in Pennsylvania. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is kind of northeast corner. I grew up in Philadelphia. I used to uh, pass through this town on my way to college. And uh, big steel center. Bethlehem Steel, this was their corporate headquarters. And the reason I put it there, this was the opposite of the unselfish service inside of a, of a company that proved to be their own fall. Uh, Bethlehem Steel, if you look at the little details here, the building has lots, this has these extended wings where it has lots of outside corners. And you know what a, a corner office means to some people? Okay. So there was a corporate culture that was just terrible. Everybody was, was jockeying with the politics within Bethlehem Steel thinking they need to get that corner office. And so when they built their new headquarters, they built one that had lots of corners. <laughs> and and uh, in the meantime, there's a little startup company, a little steel company called Nucor, that was uh, taking the market by storm and Bethlehem Steel just, just, just went out of their world position leadership in, uh, in the steel industry. And here's what happened to the guys who got these authorized parking spots, right? It just kind of rusted away because they were using wrong principles from their heart and from their motives. And it was selfish ambition rather than what was really good for others. And it's just, uh, I thought it was an interesting concept that seeing that. Well, general principles of running, sustaining, operating a business or a ministry, these are probably not any surprise to, to all of you. But just to review some of these things quickly here, uh, I mentioned this, provide a valuable, needed, or unique product or service. And avoid this get-rich-quick idea because there are things that come along, we think, oh yeah, well, this is something we can get into. We can work less, make more, have more time for ministry. Well, the Proverbs say that in all labor there is profit, and that wealth gotten in haste shall be diminished. So remember, the valuable, the needed, the unique product or service sustained with a, a, a desire and a commitment to excellence in quality and what you provide to people will uh, there will be profit in that. It, it could be a good, there's many things. You could do it in a, a family setting. You could do it in a medium-sized organization, bigger organizations at all. The principles are still there. Well, um, right in the center, provide memorable customer service. Everybody knows we have to provide good customer service, but good is not good enough. Memorable is what uh, we need to do because it used to be, when I grew up, if you, try, if you bought something and you decided you didn't like it or maybe it was a little defective, you, you couldn't go back to the store and just say, I want my money back. Well, why do you want your money back? Well, I changed my mind. And, and it would be not, but now, today, do you ever go to a store and say, I'd like to return something? And they say, hey, no sweat. 
There's no problem. What, what, is there anything wrong with it? No, I just changed my mind. That's cu good customer service. But memorable customer service is a step beyond that. And I put here the golden rule and the platinum rule. You know, we know the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, so that's how we see the world. We think that, okay, if everyone did unto me the way I can relate to, then that is a good thing. Well, the guy came up with the thought, wrote a book about the platinum rule, and that is to do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Okay, so in other words, there's another one you could say the love languages. Some of you have read that book. And so some people can relate to words of appreciation. Some people can relate to a gift. Some people can, you know, relate to just a tap on the back, a hug around the shoulder. And this is where we're meeting people where they are doing things that they can appreciate more than what, you know, because if I, if I give my wife uh, quality time by going out and working together and doing something, it doesn't relate to her as much as it is great for me. And so this platinum rule is another little way of looking at things to provide memorable customer service. I couldn't uh, speak without talking about the importance of accurate accounting. Uh, we cannot just assume that even what we're doing is worth doing or that we can, that we've reached the efficiencies where we are healthy to continue in our ministries unless we have good, accurate, timely accounting. And I don't have to say a whole lot about that, but make sure that your business or, or ministry has that component. Knowing your market uh, and other similar businesses or ministries, knowing what people are doing around you is an important general principle. There's some other things that uh, we've, we've experienced here. When we started making connections with local people in our, and we're in a rural township, we don't even have a, a village. We're smaller than a village. We have a blinking light and a railroad track. And we're two miles outside of town. And so, uh, but we've started going to um, the township meetings and we go to various things as we can. And uh, that it has made a difference. We're recognized in the, in the community as a place that is interested and involved and engaged in helping it to lift up the, the people in our community. And they trust us. They know that we have uh, integrity. And I'm not saying that we're perfect. We're not a model for, for everything of what we're doing. We want to grow continually as well. But uh, we do have, we have to remember, we have a corporate witness as well as our individual witness. And so when, uh, when we built some relationship with the uh, local building inspector, who, by the way, at attended Southern University or Southern Missionary College at the time, uh, left the church and went on to get a PhD in engineering, and he's our, our local building inspector, and he was hard on us when he first came in the door. But as he kept coming back, and we gave him a few cans of veggie hot dogs that he remembered from his old days, and uh, we built a relationship with him, and a mutual trust that he he was able to say yeah okay well you're going to do that yeah I don't even have to look at it and so we have that kind of relationship with the local people now the uh, fire chief and trustees of the township are all 
you know, first name basis with us. And I would say that we, you should be able to do that in your local community. Don't just be an outpost center that's a little too secluded to, for the local people knowing what you're doing. It makes a huge difference to be sustainable. There is a Oh, and Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we've had wonderful experiences with some of the people there as well. Well, let me just talk about plans. Some say that Jesus made no plans. And I want to read the statement that this often comes from, from Desire of Ages. It says, So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plans for him, and day by day the Father unfolded his plans. So, should we depend upon God that our lives will be the simple outworking of his will? Now, if you think about it, did Jesus make any plans for himself? Did he plan what, where he was going to go next? Did he have three-year, five-year, you know, those kinds of things? Well, I think he did think about, when you, when you remember the, uh, when he would call his disciples away and come, come apart and rest a while, they would discuss how it was going in their outreach, and they would talk about the best way to reach. But the point here is, uh, I think maybe comes in this next passage, that it was submissive to the will of God. The plans were not of his own, but they were, were to be submitted to God. It says, prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. We are seldom in all respects placed in the same position twice. We continually have new scenes and new trials to pass through where past experience cannot be a sufficient guide. We must have the continual light that comes from God. And so that is where we, we can plan, but we can submit. We can pray. And this Chinese proverb I ran across years ago is, even though you think you know the way, inquire as you go. And Steps of Christ says it so well. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. And here's the point of plans. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. And so we may have a plan, and it may not be in God's plan, and we, may, we have to be willing to, to lay that down. Well, sometimes we don't lay it down because we know, as you recognize this picture from before, that when we know our duty and that God has given us our work, we can press through difficulties. And just because it's a difficulty doesn't mean that God is telling us to stop. Uh, we should plan to continue pressing through the difficulties and keep pressing ahead. Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we, uh, we need to persevere. And there are times when... Uh, we just don't feel like it. This first part I didn't uh, give the reference, but Newt Gingrich said this, that the perseverance is the hard work you do after you're tired from doing the hard work that you've already done. 
Okay? And so let's persevere, even though we're tired. But when we know it's God's duty, he will sustain us as we go forward. This next one is a quote from Ellen White's diary on this trip. She said, when we should come to an insurmountable obstacle, we would return to Roaring Branch, but not before. There's some parts of this I'm going to save to the end. It's just so amazing. But a, a vital component of growing a sustainable ministry is meeting your workers' needs. Workers, people are not, I think it's a misnomer in a sense, that uh, our human resource department, we can't treat our human beings as just resources to accomplish our goal. Did you ever read the mission statement of, of a small company once that said the, the mission of our organization is to enhance the asset base of the owners? Well, that's not what... <laughs> and, and they use their workers to accomplish that goal. Well, that, that is not what we need to do. We need to meet our workers' needs because that is is at the heart and at the core and at the foundation of our ministries. So we need to encourage time for, for family. Give a balanced life, a work, family, church, ministry, exercise, recreation, all the things that are involved in an entire life. Uh, encourage personal ministry, as, as we were sharing, that we see that the workers in our organization that are involved in doing other things outside of work, even though we, we make work a ministry, we, but outside of work, there's ministry that can be uh, just enrich a person's life personally. Give reasonable wages. Even though this is not the foremost thing, people have to be able to make ends meet. And to be a, is sustainable and to have long-term, steady, stable staff, You've got to meet their needs. Otherwise, sometimes some of your best people will just say, you know, I, I, love, the, I love this work, but I just can't do it. I just can't uh, sustain my family. Well, win-win-win is where the organization serves people with a product or a service. Now, that's a winning situation. The organization serves its workers with a, a winning sustainable situation and the organization wins by both the input of the customers the input of the the workers and it's a mutual blessing that goes three ways well, other things like medical care benefits things that people have to do to carry on in their regular life well one of the things that they people have to carry on and doing is growing daily. So that balance, that sustainability of a life that is involved wholeheartedly in ministry and yet has the, the inner strength to continue through hard times. Well, Christ Object Lesson says that the development of all our powers is the first duty we owe to God and to our fellow men. No one who is not growing daily in capability and usefulness is fulfilling the purpose of life. In making a profession of faith in Christ, we pledge ourselves to become all that it is possible for us to be as workers for the master. And we should cultivate every faculty to the highest degree of perfection that we may do the greatest amount of good that we are capable. So one of the things that uh, comes up now and then, give tribute to Caesar. 
There's a coin here. You know the illustration in, uh, in the Bible as Jesus taught his disciples to pay taxes. To He did. He taught his disciples to do so. Desire of Ages lays it out in page uh, 601, 603, that this was a principle that continues to this day. We live under the benefit of, of uh, the government, the society, the culture in which we live, and there's a part that we need to play too. So give unto Caesar that's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. But the point here that I also want to make is that we should live above reproach. We should never be in a gray area, and maybe gray areas could be uh, defensible. So maybe I, I'll retract on that. If, if you're in a gray area and it's defensible and maybe there's a difference of opinion, well, just know where you stand and be able to defend your position. But I have some things here, D-E-Q, D-O-L, I-R-S, OSHA. Well, I'll, I'll go into these here. Department the environmental quality. We all have water. Some of us provide our own wells. Uh, we have to do water tests and water samples and those kinds of things. It's just a simple series of things that we need to do. Well, building codes and permits, uh, these are important. We have to be right with those laws of the land if we want to have a good, respectable and sustainable thing. There, unfortunately, there, there was a recent ministry that, that had to really close the whole thing down because they had neglected to consider the building codes and the zoning laws and where they were in uh, trying to establish a new phase of their ministry. And finally, the local people said, you know, we just, we love you people, but we can't let you go on. It's outside of the, of the zoning laws and you can't do that. Well, they had already done it and so the whole, whole place ended up being sold. Well, Department of Labor, employer, employee related, wage and hour type things. Uh, there's been the discussion in the supporting ministries of volunteerism and uh, stipends versus wages and wage and hour. I would just say, combining this with the IRS, that you should know the applicable laws that apply to you and where you fit. Oakhaven has chosen to fit in the regular employer-employee just like the church and other related ministries, minimum wage, social security, uh, withholding taxes, paying, paying income taxes, all those kinds of things. That's where we, we see ourselves fitting. Uh, I would say that if, if you're in a ministry that uh, is in the stipend or volunteer program, study it out, get counsel, find out where you fit, know them, know those applicable laws, and feel comfortable with those. Because there are some questions that, that this is a gray area, but it may be defensible, but it's, it's not defensible to say that, well, we don't, we don't have employees, we have volunteers. Because the IRS will define for you what, those, what it is to be an employee versus a volunteer. And there's a, there's a lot of things in there, and we don't have time. Or it wasn't my intention to go into deeply on that. Just. Study it out, know where you fit, and be able to defend that both legally and in your hearts of where you stand. Well, OSHA, we had a situation that, you know, some people think, oh, we shudder if you think of OSHA coming in, they're going to shut your whole place down because look at all our deficiencies. And we had 
uh, a report that we had a lot of exposed wiring throughout our place and unsafe conditions. And well, the exposed wiring was telephone lines that were running from one part of the building to the next and, and other things where we had uh, shut off uh, buttons, you know, big red buttons. They, they forgot that we had those. And so we, we went through this process of uh, taking pictures and responding to OSHA. We found out that they're reasonable guys. They, they are in, interested in safe workplace practices and we, we, could have, we were happy to comply with the uh, complaint that they had for us. We came out fine and we're in good shape. But one last principle, may not be last, but uh, Proverbs says, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Okay, General Cornwallis had this ace army, plenty of money, plenty of people, plenty of, of training. Well, he would sit in his tent. This was in the Revolutionary War, and just think about what he was going to do. And then he'd come out and he'd announce it to his generals, and they'd go out and they'd, be a miser they'd have a miserable defeat. Whereas George Washington, our first president, took counsel from the local leaders that he worked with. He would talk to them and, and gain ideas from each one. Then he would be in his tent praying and saying, okay, based on all of this counsel, this is what I think we should do. And, the, and it was called a ragtag army. But we're here, we're here today because of some of that uh, following that counsel. And there is a strong statement here that was in a book by Robert Pearson on one of his leadership series that uh, says, those who cannot impartially examine the evidences of a position that differs from theirs are not fit to teach in any department of God's call. What we need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without this, we are no more fitted to go forth to the world than were the disciples after the crucifixion of their Lord. Every teacher must be a learner. So we can, hey, we can differ with each other. We, we don't have to all agree on the same thing, but let's listen to each other and learn and grow as we go. I want to get back in closing to this story. Uh, those of you who maybe weren't here when I introduced this, that this was a diary entry of Ellen White traveling from Battle Creek, Michigan to Williamsport, Pennsylvania to fulfill a call that, to speak at the camp meeting there in 1889. They came into difficulties. They were obliged to cross streams where bridges had been swept away to go through many difficult places. But my secretary and myself always found a way of passage by using a plank. 61 years old. Difficulty? Come to a place, uh, earlier I mentioned 18 bridges had been washed out. They came to a place and they had horses in a carriage. They said, okay, well, the horses we can get, we can have a rope and we can, the horses can swim across, but how are we going to get the carriage across? Well, she, at Trout Run, we were told that it would not be possible to go any further. We could obtain a small boat for which to cross the stream, but there was no provision for getting the horses over. We proposed a raft be made on which to transport our carriage. At the end of three hours, the raft was completed and a boat was provided. The rope was attached to the raft and the carriage was placed and towed over by the men who had rowed it over to the other side of the stream. Now, I don't know, going back to me, I'd say, wow, this is insurmountable. Let's turn back. <laughs> But she knew her duty. She said they were determined not to go back until they had done all that they could. And so the raft was made and gets across. I mean, to me, it's just amazing. Then this is the ending paragraph of this whole story. 
The experience and anxiety through which I passed through on this journey greatly exhausted me in mind and body. But we were grateful that we had suffered, suffered no serious trouble and that the Lord had preserved us from the perils in the land and prospered us on our way. I don't, I don't think I read it, but, or maybe I did. They had to walk for miles on end. They came to places where it was rain. They were soaking wet overnight. They didn't have a place to sleep. But the Lord had prospered them on their way. What a blessing, right? And so sometimes we, and so she reached that 1889 camp meeting. She spoke and it was a blessing. Well, sometimes we reach a milestone, but we're not there yet, folks. Philippians, again, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so bless you as you work in your ministries, making them a sustainable thing that we can continue until the Lord comes. It's not yet, but it's soon. And uh, as we work for him, we can continue to claim his blessings and his strength. So I think we're just about at 12 noon. Thank you for your attention. Bless you in your ministries. I'd like to just ask the Lord to bless as we uh, depart from here. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have given us this day. You've given us every day of our life up till now, giving us life in our veins and in our bodies. And Lord, we dedicate our lives to you. We dedicate our ministries and our businesses to you. And pray that as you use us, that we would be in the center of your will, helping many others to see you for what you are and for how you care for them in their lives and leading them toward the kingdom. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.